Peter Michaels. Hey, Patrick Bateman. How are you? I'm good. You? I'm good. I'm good. What's ready, new? Ready for this week's sweet, sweet episode. Number? Oh, dear. 47? Is that? Yeah, I think we're... I don't know. That's a good Pretty question. close. We're getting up there. We're almost at a point where the number doesn't matter, right? I think we passed that by a long time ago. I um, remember keeping track pretty good up until around 20-ish, and then it just... Yep, that's true. It's a little much. That is true. Um, who do we have this week? We had a guy by the name of Daniel Monkman, Who's a.k.a. Zune. Kind of almost similar to Peter Van Helvert that we had a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. A lot of projects, this guy. A lot of projects, yeah. How's going on? But seemingly, like, mostly kind of rose to prominence recently, in recent years, I think, it's fair mm-hmm. to say. Although, you know, much like many of our interviews on the road stage, um, the current project that he's talking about with us his uh bleach waves album from from his project zune um was finished ages and yeah. ages and ages ago and some of those songs go back like well, years and years so yeah it was pretty cool to get some insight he on said that. around 2017 2018 yeah, and some yeah, of that yeah. stuff got going so one of the things that we'll talk to him about uh so he had a hugely influential album mm-hmm. on his life mm-hmm. and you'll see that it's not just like oh i really dig that album like it was a life-changing album for him. 100%. But what we'll get into it, which I find very fascinating, and, you know, why we listen to what we listen and how we come to be and all that kind of stuff, but it didn't it didn't strike with him right away. Yeah. He, he listened to it and was like, eh, and then went back to it, and then it took. So have you, have you had, is there any artists that you listen to regularly that it just didn't take right away? Um, yeah, for sure. But there was also, um, I had a friend in high school who I used to play music with quite a bit, and he always had a very what I would consider eccentric taste in music. And one day he just took my iPod classic and he loaded it up with probably 40 or 50 bands and all of their albums. Like it was, you know, it was a big, a big uh, dump. Yeah. As they say. That, and was, there were, that was a 120 gig iPod then, wasn't it? it was, was classic? Yes, it was. Yeah. It was. Okay, um, so I went through all of it and there was a lot of it that it was just way over my head. Not something I could get into. And... Within ten years of that, that was probably I was probably fourteen or fifteen when he did that, maybe sixteen. By oh, maybe even twenty two, twenty three, some of those albums were my favorite of all time. That was when I first heard Dinosaur Junior, um, first heard Black Flag, first heard My Bloody Valentine's Loveless. Yep. All this guy who I've tried to contact, I've reached out to him a couple times, but I get I get nothing back. So. Nothing. Weird. I'd love to thank him. Yeah, he, for the he brought a lot into your now. Do, but do you know like what brought you back to listening? Because that's the thing, right? If we there's a lot of times if something doesn't strike you right away, yeah. then it's done. Like, why do you ever go back to it? Uh, that's a good question. I think maybe friends or bands that you get into as mm-hmm. you grow older, your music taste changes. You hear more, you accept more, blah blah blah. I appreciate more. Um, I think I started to realize just how influential some of those bands were, right. even though a lot of them didn't necessarily have the biggest names. Right, not Taylor household household, household names, yeah. kitchen okay. table names. Is that it? Um, it's a little more specific. Yeah, yeah. yeah bands you talk about with your family over dinner. Yeah. Um, but what about you? Is there something that comes to your head? With- yeah, yeah. Honestly, what's very funny, and you might find this surprising, the White Buffalo, who is pretty much the sole artist that I have. Yeah. Really, kind of gone nuts over in the, my number one. I, I remember. So I remember hearing his music was in the Sons of Anarchy show. Right. And kind of thinking, oh, that's pretty cool. And I remember getting the first album and listening to it, and it was pretty slow. And I yeah. just kind of remember going, like, yeah, like it's good, but it's kind of right. And it was about six months later, for whatever reason, I think it must have been another song showed up in another episode that I went back, and then it fully took. And it was all from that same project that you rejected initially, or were you hooked by following songs that may not have? You know, that's a good question. It might have been 
a song from another project and then I went back to that original yeah. album and yeah, listened yeah. to it again. But I, again, that album that I kind of at first listened to was like, yeah, it's okay, is definitely amongst my favorite. Now. Right, it and is I just now. that's I just I I I love the whole psyche behind that. Why why? Yeah. Well, how does that happen? Why does yeah. it take? Why doesn't it? I just think maybe uh, yeah, things change. I mean, I think a second, third, fourth listen on anything is gonna help you appreciate and I th- more a little bit. Anyways, I think that's the important part. I think you can't just give up on something after no one no. listen. And there are certain songs out there that have so much going on, especially like Zune's music. There's a lot going on yeah that you need to digest it a few times to really fully i think yeah we're talking about what's... arrested development earlier it's like it's oh like that kind of thing where you <laughs> yeah. you could watch it for the fifth time and you're picking stuff up there's that you never know so before, much right? yeah there's so much but uh we're going to talk about this album a lot i would like to say that uh i had a ton of like i'd say close to a quarter if not more of my my uh note sheet was unaddressed yeah um so maybe we can do that in the future but uh dan Super cool dude. Really happy that he was able to join us, much like me. And well, no, well, not not you. You're already <laughs> here. You're already here. Our friends at Go Services Inc. Hello, hello. Bose Bar and Stage. Communal Creative Studios. The dudes behind the uh the yeah. microphones and other stuff. All right. Let's check it out. So uh Dan or Daniel, what do you prefer? I'm Daniel's fine. Okay, Daniel, I'm Patrick. This is Peter Michaels. How are you today? Oh, great. Great. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Patrick and Patrick and who? Peter. Peter, Patrick and Peter. Okay. Yeah, yeah. PP crew. Okay, great. So it's been, it's been... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> is that are we gonna get t shirts made up? The PPs. The yeah, yeah. The PPs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yikes, like, let's never mention. <laughs> we won't mention that again. Okay, fine, fine. <laughs> Uh, last couple of weeks have been pretty busy for you, eh? Oh uh, yeah, that's that's what it seems like for sure. <laughs> um, well, we're we're very happy to have you, especially because um, we're we're all very excited for well, and I I, I imagine that April fifteenth show with Royal Canoe is is still happening at Bose here in Red Deer. Oh yeah, definitely still on. I was just looking at the tour dates like a moment ago. Uh, when does it <clears throat> start for you? Um that tour yeah yeah or or um shit uh, i think it starts april 13th oh uh, oh shit okay so we're like we're like the second or third show yeah yeah but uh b- before that like um, i my tour starts um i think in like a week or so and and it goes until may to the end of may and then it starts in june again so I'll be pretty primed uh, for the April show, so it'll be it'll be really good for you. So in a week, you're starting to tour as Zoom, or yeah, Zoom going to um, New York for New Colossus, and then South by Southwest in oh, Texas. Amazing! Is have you, have you been down to South by before? Uh, no, I haven't. It, it, I was supposed to go two years ago when I first put out Bleached Waves, but then. Um, um, then the, like the world shut down, so I I didn't end up going. I, we had to fly out of New York, um, but I'm glad that they asked me to come out this time. I you know the record's been out for two years, and I haven't put anything else out, so it's really nice. And having never been before, have you been warned by anybody what to expect, or or have you gotten a little bit of a heads up on how to South by? Um, I, a lot of people like people who are kind of um 
I don't know, maybe haven't been a band for a really long time or something have always have all been like really excited for them. But as soon as I tell a person who's been in a band for a long time and they've been through that kind of stuff, they're all just like, like, Oh, South by Southwest is such a mess. (laughs) And um, yeah. So it's discouraging sometimes, but then sometimes people are really pumped. So I like, I still don't know what to fully expect. I've just, I've only seen videos from YouTube, you know, from like, a long time ago i haven't i haven't really done any research on south by southwest for like 10 years or something like that and um because i wasn't putting out music and i wasn't performing for 10 years so this is it's all kind of new to me but i'm excited to just to go play you know i've never been to texas and um you know the winter's been pretty cold yeah are you are you in ontario right now yeah, I'm in Toronto. Okay, is Toronto that right now? That's where that's home base these days. Yeah, I was living in like I, I used to live in Calgary for a little while too, and um, while in while in Calgary, I decided to uh, to go record these demos that I had, and so I started in London, went to Hamilton, and then just uh, last year moved to Toronto because um, I just saw that the prices for rent were basically the same and um but there wasn't many like-minded people in hamilton so i decided to move to Toronto. and you're you're liking it so far i i love it you know it's like uh it's one of the better cities that i've lived in it's really expensive but um <laughs> um i try to not think about that too much <laughs> um, just try to enjoy myself is this the first place you've lived, like the first neighborhood you've lived in Toronto, or have you you done any moving around? Um, when I first moved here, I was living in a really nice area where um, it was out of downtown. It was like more of the kind of uh, bougie area. And uh, the house that we had was just filled with like five different artists. And we had this whole like huge house. It was super nice. And um, I felt isolated, which was good. And then the owners sold the house, so I had to um, quickly find a place. And um, I was on the road playing with, um, I think it was July Talk or something, and I didn't even have time to like look at the apartment. I just saw some pictures, and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. And then after that tour, I finally came in. You know, I'm here now, and it's okay, but... Um, I think if I had a little bit more time, I probably would have maybe, um, I don't know, maybe I had moved in with other friends, found like a bigger place because living alone is, it has its, you know, pros and cons, but I, I live in a really nice area though. That's nice. That's nice. Um, with like, have you been able to properly experience these communities, these neighborhoods with the, like through the pandemic? We've talked to a ton of artists who, you know, happen to move to Toronto or a major market with uh, one hell of an uh, arts and culture scene, but not totally been able to take advantage no, no of access it, right? to yeah, it, yeah. really, yeah. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Like, um, last year when I first moved to Toronto, like, I, I didn't leave the house, really. You know, um, a lot of the people that I was, um, that were my roommates, we're very cautious about people going visiting other people. So I just like stayed to myself there and 
And during that summer, I went for jogs and around the area is really nice. So I felt like part of me was exploring the city, but at a very like slow pace, you know, at first it just started with me running through the neighborhood. And then as restrictions kind of got uh, lesser, I was riding my bike to parks and experiencing the city, but I still, I still don't think I've experienced a whole lot of the, the, the city, but, um, you know, um, I hope that changes now that uh, the mandates and stuff are changing. Yeah, and get to start start going to see some some proper shows again anytime soon, hopefully. Yeah, I went to a show. Um, uh, actually, why well, I played a show. I played a show a few days or maybe a week ago. And it was like the first time seeing that many people. And I guess it was like my first proper show back. You know, the other ones that I played were um, at festivals outside that were okay. But it was like the first time I had like, you know, a dark club and it was really nice. What what was the venue? It was uh, the Monarch Tavern. Oh, okay, very nice. Very was nice. That, that was the showcase, right? There was about three or four other acts on that bill. Yeah, it was like the exclaim class of twenty twenty two or right. something. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, and then back to South by real quick. But how many sets are you doing down there? Is it just one or? I think I'm doing two or three. Okay. I, I, I don't re- I don't remember, but I think it I think there's two for sure, and then um, the other one we're we're working on, I think. And one of them is with this band. I don't know if you remember Black Lips. Yeah. Oh. Oh. And fuck yeah! That's amazing. I was. I didn't even know that they were still a band, and <laughs> I thought that I thought they were kind of done or something. And when my manager said that. That we were gonna play with them, I was like, "What? Why? Would, I don't even know why they would be playing South by Southwest. I don't know. So I'll have to check in on that. Actually, damn, that's gonna. I I can only assume the crowd at a Black Clip show is going to be very fun, interesting. Yeah, the different type of energy for sure from Zoom shows. We're kind of more. The live set is a little bit more hypnotic and not a lot of moving around, but. Uh, It'll be an interesting bill, that's for sure. I think that's the one that I'm looking most forward to, just because um, growing up in a small town, I remember learning about Black Lips, but um, never ever seen them live. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I definitely have not heard their name in quite a while. I think they did put out new music in the last like two or three years, but hmm. oh, sure, okay. But uh, that uh, good luck with that. That sounds like a blast. With, with the yeah. uh, with the class of twenty two show, because uh, I mean we've been without concerts and live music for so long. Was it just like back on the bike again? Was there trepidation in the crowd? Did it feel different, or was it just you know kind of back to the way it was immediately? I don't, yeah, I don't know. Like um, I, um, it was definitely weird. Like doing that, like the vaccine passport because I didn't. I, I didn't have the proper one, like the QR code. So they weren't even going to let me into the venue at first. And I was like, I was like, but I'm headlining tonight. I'm supposed to play. And uh, the guy was just like, it doesn't matter. You can't come out. Let's get the QR code. So I was just sitting outside for the longest time trying to figure this out. And I think that's, that was like kind of a little bit of a, I was like, oh shoot, like what's going on? Like This is so strange. But in that moment, I was like, I was grateful that I was going to be able to play a show. Um, but once inside the venue, it was like, um, 
I don't know. It was just like normal for me. It was just like normal, you know, like people, there were some people wearing masks, but like some people weren't. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know about that, but it, you know, it, it seemed like it was like, it's a, it's a different, it's a different vibe, but you know, once we started playing it, it felt like a live show, you know? Yeah. It was just like, it was, you could feel the bass and you could feel all the guitars. We played so loud and, um, we wanted to do that. We wanted people to remember how loud it was. Cause, uh, this, for some people, it was their first show in two years. And I'm sure some of them were uh, wishing that they had brought earplugs of some sort <laughs> by the end of it. Um, I think so. I think so. I think my guitar player couldn't hear his guitar or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with Zune, uh, it is your project. Is your yeah, band. Yeah. Is, is, there, is there consistency with the musicians that you bring on stage with Zune? It's definitely changed a lot throughout the last couple of years. Yeah. I think I think I'm on to like lineup number nine or something like that. Oh, it's wow. had so has so many different variations. Um, but you know, it's it's I think that's just what happens, you know, in in someone in my position where, you know, in a band where everyone's contributing and and it's like a group effort. It's it's a little bit easier to get people on board, but with my, with mine in the beginning, it was really tough because I wanted to keep my my vision, but I didn't necessarily have a whole lot of money to to hire musicians all the time. So, you know, a lot of times people will just play for free for a little while and then leave. And um, but my friend Andrew Andrew McLeod, he was one of those people who stayed who like was there in the beginning. And I told him if he just stayed that, you know, one day we'd be able to like, we'd be making more money and touring a lot and playing cool shows. And he stuck around since the beginning and has been still going. And um, so he's like my core member. And then I have two other players or three other players now who are all uh, pretty committed, but you know, it's still like, there's like even like even on this tour, I don't know who we were gonna have this person play bass, but they came to practice and it didn't the vibe wasn't there. So I'm not taking them and but I know two bass players who will be at New Colossus and South by who know the song. So we're just gonna travel there and they're gonna play on it. And but it'll be two different bass players at the different festivals, which you know, is a little scary, but um <laughs> it's it it's like um I'm just so used to it now. I'm just like so used to it. Before I'd be like so worried, but now I'm just, I'm, I just believe in, I believe in the the process and I just know that um, uh, well, it's going to work out, <laughs> I guess. Do you ever, do you like, do you uh, have any tracks on stage for those performances? Um, no, we don't play to, uh, clip or anything like no that. and no like pr produced okay so and and i asked that because um so you know for context probably 10 or 11 years ago uh, a buddy of mine was playing music in san francisco and they're you know kind of putting out a very specific sound and he introduced me to loveless which mm -hmm. um uh is an album i think it was 1991 um yeah now 
I don't know too many people that have listened to that record, but the people that I do know who listen to that record, uh, you know, I heard one one person say, you know, they've listened to that record at least once a week for the last 20, 25 years. Um, yeah. And when I first heard Bleach Waves, and I'm not like making comparisons or anything, but I really appreciate Bleach Waves because now I have something else to put on after I've done my re-listen of Loveless or whatever other my bloody uh, records are on you know what i mean um yeah now just based <laughs> reading some of your like that obviously that was a huge inspiration definitely definitely how like how long have you spent with that record was it something you just came onto in the last five ten years or is it something you've been familiar with for your for most of your life um well before i listened to my belly to valentine i was just listening to a lot of um, Brian Wilson and his yeah. early work with uh, Beach Boys and he went on to do other stuff he wrote tons of music like he started his own publishing company and wrote music for tons of bands and even started like ghost bands where he wrote all the music and they just performed it and so I was like really interested by Brian Wilson for many years and as like a young kid my, my mom's one of her boyfriends showed me him and uh, when I was in high or I think it might have been at the end of junior high, um, I was with my friend Danny Hacking from his band's called Holy Void from Winnipeg. And, and he was like, hey, dude, I know you're really into Brian Wilson. You should listen to Kevin Shield from My Bloody Valentine. You would, I think you'd really like him. And I, at the, at the time, I thought he meant... Uh, bullet for my valentine yeah and, yeah, yeah i went through I, a similar was, process yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and i was like i was like dude i don't like that that <laughs> <laughs> you know and uh and then i think he was like no dude it's my bloody valentine not bullet for my valentine and then he gave me i think like a burnt co- he either put my bloody valentine like loveless onto a little mp3 player and i think i went for a walk one day and i was like okay i'll try i'll check out this music and um, I remember listening to it and um, liking it, but not, not totally understanding it. And, but I remember listening. He, he told me that sometimes it was his favorite song that I listened to it. And I was like, I don't really hear it. And, and then I, I listened to it again, I think maybe a month later. And after that, I was like, wow, I totally get it. It's, this is like very beautiful music. And immediately I, I felt the same way that I felt when I listened to say like uh, pet sounds or mm-hmm. smile. And, and then after that, I just like, you know, these, these were my space days and like 2000, maybe five. And I think my bloody Valentine was doing reunion tours around the time. And I was like, Oh man, well, this is really cool. Like this band is still playing music. This is like really like, modern i would feel like in a sense that like brian wilson was like from the 60s and um and to me it felt like very modern and like knew that these guys were getting back together and and uh, there was talk about like a new album and um and it just stayed that kind of genre has always stayed with uh with with me and but it's the only real shoegaze music that I listen to. I don't really listen to Slow Dive. I don't listen to anything else, really. I just listen to MBV because of how experimental it is and how certain songs are just, like, so so odd. And um, his open tunings, after I learned about the open tunings, it just, like, 
my my world as a guitar player opened up and i was into open tunings before that because i learned how to play slides so i was like playing a lot of like open tunings but the way that he used them was like um it just made so much sense to me and you know i was putting out shoegaze records like right after that like a month after listening to that album and i uploaded it to uh my space ended up getting contact by this record label called woven records out of montreal and winnipeg and you know i was a young child at the time i would say like maybe like 16 or something wow. like that uploading my music and my mom thought i was like she my mom thought that these two guys were like pedophiles or something so she's just like She's like, Danny, you're not going to meet these guys. They're not going to come to your show. I was like, no, mom, they're coming to meet me. They're, they're coming from the Yukon. They're going to come watch me play live. And uh, I remember she was so like, she was like, what are you talking these creepy guys online? And, but my, mo- my, my I don't mom, blame her. Like, <laughs> No, definitely not. Definitely not. Like these guys were like really the music. And we're like, you know, tell me everything about you. And I was like, uh, I don't know. I'm still in high school. And, and, um, so then they came down to my hometown and, and, um, you know, I guess the kind of rest of history, you know, but actually after I stopped playing music, but it, that record, after I walked away from music for about 10 years, um, that album was always the one that it took with me. I had a, a CD of it and a vinyl and it just traveled with me throughout you know, until just a few years ago when I got back into performing and uh, doing music, I guess, professionally or something. So those Bleach Wave songs, were they with you as long as Kevin Shields spends on one or five songs, which could be upwards of 30 years? <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, Help Me Understand was written, um, I think it was like 10 or 11 years ago. Wow. And um that that's one of the older songs but like a song that was supposed to go on the record too is another one from i think it was like 10 years ago like when i wrote it and but the rest of the music was was all new you know i just had like i had that i had helped me understand another one to kind of give me um reference of what what i could do but but it, it it wasn't supposed to be like a shoegaze record. It was at the time I was listening to a lot of Nick Drake, and I really wanted to build this like you know sea back sea change like Nick Drake type of album and make it like kind of poppy with like a lot of string arrangements. And but I didn't have I was like I was working as a janitor and I didn't have a lot of fun. So I um, one day working at the um, a rehearsal studio. I, uh, I had this Zoom 8-track machine, and and in the drum patterns, I discovered that had all these cool, like, lo-fi uh, trip-hop and hip-hop beats. And um, I just discovered one beat that just was just, it hit me so hard, and it, it's what started, I wrote Broken Head over top of the, the drum beat, and uh, it kind of kick-started this, like, this whole different, um, I guess, musical path where I thought I was creating this like Nick Drake album. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, maybe I should like make a shoegaze with it. Like I did 10 years ago. And, um, it seemed easier for me to do that because I didn't have money to hire like string 
to get string arrangements. I didn't have production of it going to a studio. I just had this eight track machine and one pedal. So I was like, but with this one pedal, I realized that I could make a lot of cool textures. And, um, and so I decided to go down the path of a shoegaze record because at the time it just was more practical. And, um, but now I'm starting to like, uh, go to now that I ha have resources, I'm starting to make the more Nick Drake sounding record with like strings and, and stuff like that. Very cool. Very cool. Just to go back to Loveless for a second, you said that it didn't it didn't hit you the first time you listened to it, which is it's very yeah. funny. There's some music that gets you like you're into it like right off the get go, and other times you have to go back. So I'm curious, what was it about it that didn't that you don't think you liked right away, and then what made you go back and listen to it again? I think the I I don't even know how to describe it. I just I just like I I remember just like looking down at the machine, the MP3 um, player and. And just think, and just like hearing the noise and not understanding, it was like I don't know what it was. It was maybe it was the type of headphones that I had because I know around that time I was just going through all types of headphones. Some just sounded like crap, and I either would have found like a good pair of headphones that just like was a lot better. And um, the second time around, it just felt more. Uh, it was just like a different energy. I don't know how to explain it. It was like there was there was no low end in the one that when I first listened to it, but then when I listened to it the second time, it felt like it felt more warmer or something. I just like understood it. You know, it was like it was one of those feelings. And um yeah, it's very rare that I hear records like that that make me feel that way. And I still have trouble with it. And but there, but there are many records that make me feel that way. But I think Loveless was like um, the sound. It just like made so much sense. You know, I think it was uh, to hear knows one. It was the one that clicked when I listened to it again. I just understood it. I, I, I it just felt so right. And I, I know it's kind of cliche to say that, but, but it's true. Like that's like actually how I felt. I was like because i'm a music lover and i understand that like when i hear a good song like endorphins and you know all the, the good feels that comes out and and i like that's that's like uh, that was loveless for me and is that all by by feel or did you do you have any uh, training at all whatsoever music lessons as a kid or is it just all by feel um i i grew up around music my family like i grew up on the reservation and and um bluegrass music fiddle uh folk music rock and roll like all that was like around me um my, my mom didn't understand that that was something that i wanted to do but my dad did so he made sure that i always had a guitar and was like learning how to like do things with it and he would like he would do like odd things where he would like put me in my room and with a tape player and then record a song or uh, he would have recorded the song on a tape and then rewind it and be like okay this is how you rewind you click it down and press play and he's like i want you to learn the first half of this song on guitar like learn the rhythm guitar and i would be sitting there and i'd be strumming away for like a few hours and and then i would just kind of give up and start making up my own music and that's that was just like that kind of started i never really learned other people's music i always just tried to make my own and um 
you know, but I never was really trained. My mom, my mom knew that I loved music after a while and decided that she would support it. So she put me in band class and I learned how to play the upright bass. Nice. Um, so I was in band. I did the clarinet for a while. Um, and then I taught myself how to play piano and, and yeah, so it's all just self-taught, but also like my dad helped me out a lot. My mom did too. And just meeting kids all along the way who taught me like, you know, in school, like would teach me about punk music and show me how to do bar chord. It's all kind of, tr- uh, that's how I learned. And these days I'm, I have a little bit better of an ear and I can like hear a song and learn it, but it's all kind of new to me. You taking Still. a clarinet down to Austin? <laughs> uh, I wish. <laughs> Not this time. Maybe next time. All right. Maybe maybe on the Royal Canoe Tour, you can uh, just bring out a clarinet for, for a few bars or something. <laughs> I'll have a, a cello player come in for the Royal Canoe Tour. Really? Yeah. This this guy named Michael Peter Olson, he, he like, invented this, like... Um, this like strap that goes onto your body and it holds like this, his electric cello. And he just has this huge pedal board and he makes his pedal, his, his, uh, his, his electric cello sound like, like an ocean. And, and he has all these like polyrhythmic pedals that like send off on the stereo channel and makes all these weird noises. And it's, it brings like a whole new experience to the live show where like we've had, you know, like at the end of it, like people like crying because his, his piano, his, his violin or his cello is so beautiful. You know, he's, he's an old fellow, but you know, he, uh, he looks very young. Like you'll see him, you'll meet him. You'll think that he's like 30, but he's like 50. And he, he just plays the cello so beautifully that, it makes people like weep and um yeah so it's the live performance is a lot different than the record that's for sure yeah but i i, I can understand that and and like you know having spent some serious time with your record and of course with what i what i feel is the kind of the peak of of shoegaze music and in, in what my bloody valentine has done over the years is uh mm-hmm. there is this wall of sound aspect to it that it's so perfected and mm-hmm. Um, not a single moment hasn't been, well, in Kevin Shields case thought through, uh, a million times over for many years at a time. Um, but, yeah. but, uh, if you are willing to let that type of music capture you emotionally, it, it mm-hmm. does, does the fucking job pretty well. Um, yeah. it could be very, very sensitive, sensitive music. Yep. Yeah. That's how it was for me big time. Yeah, it's a, and it's amazing because I remember when they announced that they were coming out with that album, which I think was 2013, um, so 23 years or so after Loveless, uh, you know, that was, that was a huge, huge deal. And whether it reached your expectations or not, it didn't really matter because, yet again, yeah. it was a project that uh, this Kevin Shields guy, like, he's, he's, uh, he's an interesting fella. Huh? Yeah, I love that record. Actually, it's me too. Me too. It, I like. I, I, a lot of times, I like it more than Loveless, or I like them the same. It's it, that that album is that changed my life too. That that album too. It's like, it's like, 
past, present, and then like the future, you know, like it really has that vibe. And then by the end of it, it's like, he's like singing in like a jet engine or something. (laughs) It's so crazy. It makes no sense. Um, But it, it, it also does. Um, did were you familiar with the the EPs and I think it was the one album that they had had before Loveless because I had never heard oh, yeah. those until they were released on streaming services. I think it was last summer. Yeah, no, I heard I, I knew about all those records. And you said you had Loveless on vinyl, which is not an easy, like that's not an easy thing to have. Like I, I think maybe they started reprinting them in the last few years, possibly. But I remember when I first got that record, yeah. I told my buddy he's like, oh, I gotta get this on vinyl. And he was like, yeah, good fucking luck, because they're like five hundred dollars on eBay or some shit. Yeah. Um I'm really lucky too with my my vinyl too. Because like when I signed to Paper Bag Records in 2017, um I just I remember talking to the record label and the because he I was Long story short, I was working as a janitor at this university and I made bleached waves in my bedroom and I put it up online, put it out as an EP, but I sent it to this agent who fell in love with it and immediately got me signed to paper bag. And and while I was like one day at my shift, like mopping up like the soup or something, I can't remember. And and the, the head of the label was like, messaged me I was like hey like, well, I want to talk on the phone like we really want to have you like on the label um can we like chat I was like yeah sure so on my lunch break um we had a chat and we were just talking and and I was like oh that's cool like you also own like a record shop you sell like actual vinyl and stuff and and um I was like, wow, like, you know, it'd be my dream to have like an original copy of Loveless. Like, like that would be like my dream to have something like that. And he's like, oh, yeah. And like, well, you know, like, you know, I'm sure uh, like we always get vinyl coming in. He's like, I traveled to the UK to get like to buy like vinyl like that, like original copies. And um, and then fast forward like three years later, um, after I got the the short list of Polaris uh, music prize nomination. Uh, I went for a meeting at the record label and they had an original love list for me. That's amazing. There. That's incredible. And it was like, it was in this like really like secure, like um, cover. And, you know, I have it like sitting in my living room right now and I try not to touch it all that much, but uh, <laughs> it's like really special to me. Yeah. Of you course. know, and um, I haven't listened to it on the vinyl. I, I think, have I? I don't know if I have, actually. I don't know if I will. I just kind of want to preserve it. And um, But yeah, it's my first copy that, like, because um, I had, like, a I had, like, a reissue or something, yeah. like, a long time ago. And it got warped one time when I went tree, tree, uh, tree planting in Alberta. And... Uh, it was literally on top of a bowl for some reason. Oh no! And uh, I left it in my truck, and then it just melted all over top of the bowl. So I just had like this vinyl that was like a bowl shape. Which <laughs> some people, fun. some people some mean to make those, right? They make those yeah. on purpose. I know, I know. I, I I think this was even before, like maybe I don't know. But yeah, well, don't don't do that with the uh, holy grail. Yeah on display in your living room please, no. please god 
<laughs> yeah. Um, uh, you mentioned the Polaris Prize. That, that was your first experience with the with the Polaris Music Prize, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I didn't. I, I hadn't really heard of it before. Was was that something? Um, was it something you you hadn't like? You thought, oh, maybe, maybe this this I like this record. This record's pretty good. People seem to be digging it. Maybe it'll get some recognition like that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I put the record out in 2020, June 19th, and and for a whole year, I was, you know, it was it was like amazing. Like a lot of people were just responding to it. That was like it was. It was very positive, and um, it just kind of continued. And and every so often, like more people would find out about it, and it would like reignite. And then someone do a review, and it would just like after a while, it was just like it felt like it was never slowing down. It kept getting added to like many many um, um, playlists, and still still are on those playlists after like two years almost. And and um, so I was like, I was. Uh, I, uh, I felt like um, I felt like well it's gonna slow down anytime soon you know like I was just like, anticipating it and you know being very grateful and then um, and then uh, my manager was like oh hey Polaris is coming up and uh, I was told that your name was like on one of the ballots and i was like oh wow that's that's great like what is polaris and i remembered <laughs> i remembered uh jeremy dutcher did some yeah. i was like before i got back into music i remember hearing something about polaris i thought it was the prism award or something yeah but i guess i'm, I'm learning now that it was the polaris and uh, and so i was like shit well okay that's great like uh, one nomination or like how many do you need? And I found out that you needed 20 or something to qualify as a the long list. And, and then every so often I would just get a message from someone being like, Hey, like, I just want to let you know, I put you on the ballot for the Polaris. And, and slowly I was like, wow, we're at like 17 now. We must be like, it must be like 20 pretty soon. And, and then when I got the nomination, um, it really like restart, it like put new life into the record and it just like kept going um you know but uh obviously i didn't get it but i but from what i was told there was um they were like um they had a hard time deciding between like this was what i was told like mine and cadence's rapid record but um yeah it was it was a good experience i was told that this year was kind of lame though there was like this whole tiktok thing involved and they didn't have like the award ceremony or even just like featuring the artists. Like last year, I think they made like a cool video for each artist. And there was like this whole grand thing. It was pretty nice, but this year it was just kind of like lame. So I don't know. It was cool for the publicity and the PR, but the experience, maybe I shouldn't talk badly about it. <laughs> it was fine. It was great. <laughs> Um, well, also, I'm going to assume that uh, you, you and Cadence are good because you were in the studio together a couple weeks ago, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he re recorded remotely because he was on the go and I was finishing up an EP. I decided to write a... The label was kind of bugging me to put out a record, so um, 
instead I made like an EP for them and and I asked Cadence to come on one of the tracks. Sick. That's it's like awesome. a it's a very it's a very odd EP. It's people are gonna be a little weirded out by it. It's different than but it's kind of to prepare people for the other stuff that I'm gonna be putting out. As Zoom. As Zoom, yeah, as Zoom. Like it's kind of more like a singles EP. Okay. It's just all singles and they're all different, you know, like one's hip hop because cadence, but I like I wrote all the music and the beat. And um, another one is just an ambient track that is features Jasmine Trails. She does the vocals. And then um, the other two songs are me singing. And those are the more like kind of rock songs, but the rest are, are pretty experimental in a sense that it's different than uh, what people are used to hearing from Zoom. Are you able to look at the success that that music has had over the last couple of years and, and like kind of rest on it for a minute? Because we've talked to so many musicians who put out albums during the pandemic who, whenever they are able to finally hit the road again, are already having to move on to the next project. Obviously, you're moving yeah. on to the next project, but you're also going to be touring a bunch mm -hmm. over the next couple of months because there wouldn't you wouldn't yeah. have, you wouldn't have had much chance to play those bleach waves tunes at all right like i haven't yeah. no no i've i've played maybe like 12 shows and mind you those 12 shows like they were some of the best shows you know that i've played even before the pandemic but like no one has really heard them you know like um it's it's interesting because like i applied for a grant for these shows and they ask what album you're promoting them and if you click on it and one of your albums is there that means you can apply for support for that and when i clicked on it bleach wave's still there and they go they they're allowed to do that for an album for two years okay. so so i'm this tour is going to be like a bleach waves tour in a way um it's all bleach wave songs i think we're playing one new song but that's all the one new song's always been on the set list for a really long time and um but yeah i think this is this is like this is our time to tour bleached waves which um is very strange but yeah i have i have an lp2 coming out too like i've written two eps and an lp is the, the second lp is all done too crazy man you've been busy as hell wow <laughs> yeah i mean the pandemic i mean i wrote bleached waves in 2017 right um and so like all that time had passed and I was working a full-time job because the person who vouched for me at paper bag ended up passing away. So paper bag held on to bleach waves for two years. And, you know, I thought in 2017, I was going to be playing shows, but turns out that I had to wait. And then finally, when they put it out, the pandemic happened. So right. I was just like, you know, I've been waiting a long time. So in that time I've written many songs yeah. and, but but the best music that I've written has been recent. And so that's why I keep pushing my album back because I'm, every time I write a new song, I'm like, oh, this is like the new song. This is the this is the best music I've written. And that just keeps happening. So, But I had to put a stop on it and put together an album. And, and I did. And, you know, so, so people are going to be like kind of weirded out by the two EPs. But I think when they listen to the LP... It'll be like um, it'll be it'll be kind of more like the bleached waves stuff. I'm not worried about uh, a little little shake up here and there. It's all good. 
I'm I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful <laughs> that we get to see uh, what you've been holding on to for five years before you officially move on. Yeah, <laughs> I know. That's rare. And it feels like, I, yeah, and I feel like, you know, because I haven't been able to play it a lot, I still have to play it. So I want to keep playing it for another two years or something, you know, like that's what I want to do. But, you know, I'm going to have to put out a new record and then have to play some of those songs. But, you know, it's 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 different for sure. You know, as things get better, I don't have to like scramble to like, uh, make new music I can really take my time which is like really nice so Kevin Shields eventually went into doing movie scores is that something that you're interested in sounds like you've got a lot yeah. of uh, creativity there ready to go <laughs> yeah that's what I do as my uh, other job is I, I just finished working on a film actually that's awesome um, yeah and a, a lot of um well, my dream is to not have to write pop music. I do it mostly because it seems like the most easiest way to grab people's attention and for people to digest the sound. But my ultimate dream, I love making just ambient music. That's where my major, my my passion is. I love, I love just, that's what I fell in love with my Blair Valentine. It's like to hear knows when is like, if there was no singing in it and it's just the music, like that's what I like to do. And um, I've been lucky that the projects that I've, the, the films that I've scored on her, you know, are all Indigenous based. And the newest one I did is the first non-Indigenous, but it's about Indigenous people. And um, yeah, so I, I, I choose my projects carefully, but, um, you know, if, uh, if, I, if I like what the person is doing, I'll, I'll jump on board. That's something that, you know, because like music is, uh, it's tough going on tours, so it's good to to build other ways of revenue to come in. And film score for me is just, you know, it, it makes the most sense because I can remotely work on it wherever I am. You know, like I plan on working on it when I'm on the road this next month, these next couple months. Um, we often, for whatever reason turn to we discuss film scores all the time quite regularly like a lot and like it's <laughs> it's something that uh i'm i listen to a lot of film scores is there something these days that you pay attention to certain composers musicians that that provide scores that, that influence your work mm, philip glass is yep. uh amazing Big time. you know i i loved his music without knowing who he was until my friend andrew was listening to Philip Glass and I was like, oh, I know this dude. He's the one that does the soundtrack for Signs. And I was like, I love this music. And um, so it's given me a lot of new ideas. And I also like, um, um, the dude who worked on a lot of uh, the Blade Runner movies is really good. Yeah. yeah the old one, the like, old one and the new one too. Johan Johannes. Is that yeah. yeah passed away a few years ago? But yeah, yeah, yeah. And even the new uh, person who did the the newer one is like all really good music. The like I, the I really... Blade Runner twenty forty nine is that was that Hans Zimmer? I think so. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Hans Zimmer. Sorry, that was yeah. Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer is the. He's the goat. I really like Hans Zimmer stuff too a lot. He's the, he's the goat. Um, 
Yeah, he's a, he's like the yeah he's the goat and um, um, yeah and you know that's movie score and it's just like that's what my music is you know my all my partners throughout my life have always been described my music as that and but yeah as I was saying I just started to write a lot of pop music because I love pop music but I just realized that my music needed to. Um, to find like a fine balance between pop music and what I love to do is, you know, and I had to like, had to carefully maneuver that, especially for Bleach Wave, because there were certain points, there was a lot of other songs that were just like straight pop songs. And um, it can be kind of weird to just write pop music, but um, that's, I have a strong passion for it. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, hearing more of that now. I mean, we've been talking for f- f- over 45 minutes about, again, an album that's, uh, well, it depends how you look at it, could could be considered five years old. Um, yeah. You, you also, I mean, we were, we were supposed to chat last week, and we got, you know, lines got crisscrossed, but part of the reason <laughs> yeah. is because you had three goddamn interviews before ours on that mm-hmm. day, one of them with our friend Siobhan. Uh, with oh, Siobhan's XM. amazing. Yeah, Um so tell us about this new record. I'm gonna I'm gonna do my it's Ombi Gaze. Ombi Gaze? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Ombi Gaze. Ombi Gaze. Ombi Gaze. So so even Tom Power didn't get it right. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we had a chuckle about that afterwards. <laughs> so uh that is that that means uh, she or he is loud is noisy, right? In Ojibwe? Yeah, in Anishinaabe, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, so tell us about this project, because I, I think we're both really hoping to chat with Adam Sturgeon, a.k.a. Status on Status down the line, but uh, uh, mm. fuck, man, you got tours coming up and this record that was a Polaris shortlist, but you also have this project that literally came out, I think, a week and a half ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot about that, too. <laughs> um, <laughs> shit. That's amazing. Um, uh, yeah, so... You know, Adam and I, when I was working as a janitor, we um, um, it turned out that our managers were the same person. And um, so we just like started talking. I sent some early Bleach Waves demos and stuff like that. And and um, and we always just had like this alliance because we were both First Nations in, a, in Anishinaabe too. And we felt pretty isolated in the music scene. Like there was no one else kind of like us doing the same stuff. And so we found a lot of uh, like um, solitude hanging out together and talking about what we want to do for the community and how to bring us together. And, and, um, and, but that, but we were both busy with our solo projects and I was trying to get bleached ways off the ground and get a band together and start touring. So, we never really got to sit down and write music together. But when the pandemic happened, we noticed that we had obviously so much time on our hands, just like everyone else. And and so we started just like sending songs to each other, being like, I was like, hey, dude, I wrote the song five minutes ago. What do you think about it? It could be cool. And then he would send me something and I would be blown away. And then, um, and then I was getting ready to make my LP too. And I was friends I had become friends with Charles Spearin because I fell in love with his record. And, and, um, um, but also 
my friend Nav, who uh, is like a film producer, he invited me or he he messaged me online being like, oh, hey, dude, I love your music so much. I want to like help you promote it and stuff like that. And, and he's like, I'm friends with Kevin Drew from Broken Social Scene. And I keep talking to him about you and sending him your record. And I was like, oh, wow, that's great, man. I was like, I haven't heard uh, Broken Social Scene in a really long time. And and so when I was looking at to have someone mix my LP2, I reached out to Nav asking for Ke- Kevin's email address. So I e- emailed him, asked him if he would mix my record. And he's like, oh, I don't really have the... He's like, I have time, but he's like, I don't really have like a, a studio to mix it for. He's like, but my friend Charles Spear and like he should mix it so Charles and I started talking and um and kind of life went on for like a month or so and and then one day I wrote a song uh, it was on the record and I sent to Adam and he was like damn this is really good he's like we should actually like consider going into the studio and I was like well dude like I was like, uh, I've been talking to Kevin Drew, but like, I know you're friends with him. Why don't we ask him to like produce it with us? And, you know, 10 minutes later, Adam's like, he's like, hey, I just emailed Kevin and he got back and he's like, Kevin's on board. He wants to produce it. He he said there's studio time that he's supposed to have, but he's going to give it to us. And and all of a sudden, like within like a couple hours, we were like, we had like Kevin on board. He gave us his studio time, but it had to be recorded in a month. So we were like, oh shit, we don't even, we didn't even know what we were doing at the time. We didn't have really any songs. Like I just had like a few pop melodies that I was like, well, maybe we can make this. But I had that one song that we were like, okay, we should do this. And what song um, was that? What song was that? It was the fourth song. It's the one about like my mother. Okay. And like the piano comes in the second verse. And um, so then Kevin, yeah, so then Kevin, we all started doing conference calls, talking about what we were going to do. And um, so we went out to the studio, had all these songs, and Adam and I had practiced them. And when we got there, we just kind of left all those songs, you know, kind of, Adam always says, like, kind of at the door. And so when we went in, it was just like, it was all brand new material, like, the only song that was properly written out was Cherry Coke because while we were recording all the other songs, I, w- I started to panic and I was like, well, I don't think my other two songs, my other two riffs are strong enough. So I went outside and I was listening to voice memos from uh, I think like seven months prior and I found the song Cherry Coke and I was listening to it, tuning the guitar to it and trying to figure it out. And then... Um, um, yeah, so then we we did that song. That was like the one that we that kind of like made the session being like, okay, I think we're like on to something for this album. And yeah, we recorded nine songs in six days, and and then a few months later we put it out, and it was all very fast. It was all that was like the main that was like the main thing with Kevin. He was like. He said, we have to put it out now because as soon as we put out, when we were out there recording, that's when they found the unmarked graves in in British Columbia. And everywhere else in the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we just felt like it was the right time. So we just like forced it out and 
and um yeah now it's out to the world and it just seems so strange you know like a lot of the music too is like totally different than zoom but the songwriting i would say is there like the kind of my style is there but like i didn't really use any effect pedals the whole entire record i i, I mostly use the acoustic guitar all the acoustic little like sound collages of acoustic guitar being finger picked that you hear throughout the record it's like all me so and that album is called sewn back together it is out now um and and yeah. another uh record that in just a matter of weeks we've heard it was produced at the bathhouse right yeah at the bathhouse yeah um Pete has tried to get out there before, just as a you know a viewer from afar. I'm a pretty big hip fan, so that's uh, there's a lot of wonderful lore in that building. Oh my gosh, yeah! Like I honestly, my brother when I was growing up tried to get me to listen to the Tragically, and I always loved them. I always loved them, but as I grew older, I just kind of like got into different, more abstract music. So going to that studio, like I um obviously i knew like how iconic it was and and going there every morning we would wake up and jump into the pool and we would tread water for five minutes and one day um gore downey's wife and his son lou came to the studio to come come check out what we were doing because uh because kevin drew was also working on her uh her new ambient album and I guess she's a swimmer, so she jumped into the pool and showed us how to tread water for a while. And it, it was like, it was a really intense experience. And then, like, the next day, like, Lou ended up staying with us. And the next day, like, Lou and I were playing basketball together in the morning. And there's pictures of his dad, like, everywhere, and they looked identical. Wow. It was, it was so strange, you know? And now, like, Lou is, like, my friend, and he texts me or sends me new music that he's listening to or, and stuff. So it's like, it's, it's, you know, it's a strange world. <laughs> you know, I went from just hearing about them, but now it's like, you know, like Robbie, the guitar player, came out to my Kingston show at the Grand Theater. He like came and saw me play and like we hung out and talked. And so it's, it's strange, you know, I, I guess. Oh, the world is weird. <laughs> that's I don't know that anybody else can have that experience of being taught how to tread water by Gord Downey's wife. Like yeah. that's a pretty unique. If any time you're down there, let me know. And <laughs> the guy who runs the studio just texted me. His 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 name's Niles, and it just popped up on the screen. And so if you're ever down there, let me know, and I'll just text Niles, and I'll be like, hey, like. Stu's gonna—he wants to come check out the place. He'll well, totally let you. There we go. That's, we can uh, end. We can stop doing this podcast forever now. Pete's that, got his, I would be done. That's it. Personal I'm hookup good. with the bathhouse. <laughs> so okay. So like beyond beyond the um, experience of recording in that space um, with the history and the legend of it, and and especially the legend of Gord Downey, um, mm-hmm. sewn back together is. And I'm not a huge lyrics guy. All right. I'm mostly yeah, yeah. mostly just music. Uh, so back together uh, to me and based on some of the interviews from you and Adam, an intensely personal project. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So when you say that you you had you were given a, you know, a matter of weeks to, hey, we're, we're hopping into the studio in a month. Um, yeah. And then taking a song like Cherry Coke, like 
When you first wrote or did that voice memo for Cherry Coke, which, if I'm not mistaken, is is a very personal story about you and your dad, right? Mm, yeah. Was there any hesitation actually putting that song, you know, putting it on a record? Yeah, totally. Like, um, yeah, because like my dad has passed away now, and I was just and at that time when I was writing it, um, you know, I had my dad had passed away so i was like in the process of like um being the administrator of his estate and will so there was like all these it was a really delicate time in my life and um and and my uncle mad and things got complicated on the reservation he kind of stopped talking to me and so i was like you know it felt really weird like putting the story of my dad on this record and you know and and some ways like profiting from it and and um so i was like really nervous but you know adam the reason why adam and i got together is because we uh we we encourage each other to to um to to not give up once we start feeling like vulnerable and, and for that song he just really loved it as soon as everyone heard it they're like that's it you know that's the song we got we have to record that and so I had a lot of support and that went a long way. Was, and, um, <clears throat> oh, go. Was there part of you that was hesitant to, to, you know, officially put it out there? Like you obviously, you had that yeah. support, uh, you know, kind of prodding you along, but. Yeah, no, definitely. I was nervous. I, um, um, especially that you can actually hear the lyrics, you know, with Zoom, it's like, a lot of personal things I've talked about in the lyrics, but no, no one really understands. And like, there's no real lyrics available out there. Everything that you read is, they're all wrong, you know? And um, so it, it was different, you know, handing in all the lyrics to the record label for Cherry Coke, and knowing that these were going to be like, these are the right lyrics and then everyone can hear it. So it was definitely, it was a, it was something that I wasn't used to, but it feels good to be able to, put out some clean music are you and adam going to be able to tour any of that music yeah we have a tour in june oh, so fantastic. I have three yeah i have uh three months of touring on zoom and then right after that um on the is uh is going to be touring and um yeah so i don't know it's, it's gonna be a while but i'm excited for that i think we, we both have uh, not agreed to any of our solo projects touring for June, July. So I think we're just going to be focusing on sewing back together and touring live as much as we can, you know, while we can. Yeah, I can't tell you how exciting it is just to hear, like, it sounds, you're going to be busy, but it's just so great to hear an artist that's, you know, having a tough time keeping track of all the shows that are coming up. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I know it's just like a lot of a lot of moving pieces that sometimes I just like forget. But uh, I things are starting to feel more real because the tour post is finally in, and now I can look at all the dates. I'm like, okay, wow, holy shit, I'm gonna be gone a long time. It's happening, and and again, um, you know that that Royal Canoe tour starts in April. We'll be seeing that on the 15th here at Bose. I really can't wait. Um, yeah, that's yeah, gonna be great. Yeah, I love those dudes. 
Yeah. Would you? Can I just uh, like? Are you? Are you? Are you hitting the stage with like uh, you know the Jay Mascus mentality of just like making people's ears bleed? You just just wall of sound <laughs> for Zoom Zoom sets. <laughs> um, sometimes it does definitely do that, but um, it's it's a very it's a it's it's a set that I've worked on for the last few years, so it's very flushed out. Before it used to be kind of a noise mess, but now we've uh, I've really trained the, the the bandmates to like to learn about dynamics and when to like come in and when to lean out. So it's it's a it's a it's an experience, but there are moments where it's just noise, and that's really nice. That's I I've been waiting I've been waiting for that moment ever since the the Neil Young concert I saw. And waiting for for a, a sonic wall just like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um. Well. Uh. Okay. One more. One more mention of Kevin Shields. Do you think there's any chance he's heard Bleach Waves? Oh, I don't. I. It's so strange because I was listening to an interview with him today, and it's the most recent one, and it's like three and a half hours long. Holy shit! Where? Where? Where can I find this? It's um. It's a podcast. I'll set, it's a it's a podcast. Yeah, and it's uh, it's on YouTube. It's it's okay. the newest one. It's the newest one from, I think maybe like five months ago. Okay, cool. It's not it's not Kevin Shields on the Joe Rogan Experience. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> but it's 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 so good though. It's like it's really good. And within the into within the podcast, they ask him about um. They just assumed that he was just kind of this old head and he doesn't have a cell phone. But he was like, he's like, no, actually, like, he's like, I have a cell phone. He's like, you wouldn't believe how many good bands I've discovered just from YouTube and streaming services. So that started to make me think about that today, actually, where I was like, I was like, maybe there's a chance that he heard my music because, um, you know, like, I'm not doing like... Um, the kind of generic she gives it's more of like the experimental stuff yeah. that i know he, he likes and um but it's so strange because you know i even have mutual friends now who uh, are all who are friends with kevin shield holy so, shit wow yeah i was just talking to um uh, um you know that band sloan yeah, yeah. sloan chris murphy him and i i, I we, we exchanged numbers and we we're texting and i i i, I was on youtube last night and i saw this footage of mad war from 1992 or three or something like that he's interviewing nirvana in, New in vancouver with courtney love and, and they started talking about sloan they're like oh yes we love canada you know like they, they that band sloan they're on our record label david geffen and so i sent that screen that that uh i recorded that and i sent it to chris and i was like dude i was like you're you're like an icon man like nirvana i was like that's my favorite band and he was telling he he texted me back and was like he's like oh dude i remember that day like i was in a, i was on a car ride and i was in a car in la and on the radio courtney love was talking about how her and court were coming to our show that wow. night wow and then, and then the second text was like, "Oh, and and I know Kevin Shields too. We hung out nineteen ninety two at some bar in London, and I was like, man, that is so wild! Like, 
as a young kid, I never thought I would ever have a conversation with someone that would know Kevin Shields. And and then I was supposed to go on tour with uh, Fucked Up as their backup guitar player. Holy and, shit. And Damien, the singer, is friends with Kevin Shields. Where When he comes down to Canada to play Toronto, him and Damien hang out and they smoke weed together. And so it feels like... I am slowly getting to know people who know Kevin Shields. So the the idea of him like hearing my music would like, it, that's really exciting, but it would hurt crush me if he heard it and was like, nah, not my vibe. Yeah, that yeah. that would, I, I don't know. I have a hard time believing that that would, that would happen. I really do. I just know he's critical about uh, shoegaze bands, but mine is like a little bit different. You know, I think yeah. we, we draw from the same, the same well in a way you know like we we his music he's from ireland yeah irish people are kind of like the way that they do their music is very abrasive and loud they like do the big sing-alongs together and in a way Anishinaabe people do the exact same thing and um so i just like think there would be like some kind of understanding you know because he gets brian wilson and that's where a lot of my songwriting comes from. Um, I, I have to ask because Fucked Up is one of my favorite bands ever. But was there still a chance that you could uh, be hopping on stage with them, or you're just too busy? Um, well, that's what happened the first time. Like they asked me, they emailed me out of the blue, asking if I would play guitar for their tour for the uh, the the Does your dreams. The one about- no, the one from 10 years ago. Yeah, David, David of, Comes to Life. David Comes to Life. Yeah. They, they wanted me to play guitar for that. And so, so, I, so like, they invited me to come to their place and meet them. So I did. I went and hung out with them. And, and, you know, we had we got along really well. And they all liked me. And they were like, yeah, we'll, we'll t- we could tour with you. And I was like, great, I could tour with you, too. <laughs> um, so then, but then when I brought it up to... Um, the the people at arts and crafts and on um, big as a like they were all kind of choked they're like oh what like you're going on tour for two months with them like we had this tour planned and none of the tours conflicted with on um, big is a but then they just left re- left no room to rehearse and so when i brought that up to the mic um they were kind of choked because they were hoping that i would come and and I had to say no in the end, and I think they were kind of upset about it and kind of bummed. And uh, they might be mad at me. I don't know. I think the one guy was mad, but um, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if they would have me on tour, but you know, if they listen to this podcast, I'll, I'll play with you guys. It was just that I was just uh, really busy. It was kind of out of my control. Well, the way the way fucked up has gone over the last fifteen years, ten to fifteen years. I mean. You wait another five years, and they're probably going to need a seventh or eighth guitar player on stage by that time. So, yeah, uh, I, yeah. I think the potentials are. Have you been on Turned Out of Punk? Uh, sorry, sorry, say that again. Have you been on Damien's podcast, Turned Out of Punk? No, I haven't. No, not yet. All right, all I right. Didn't, I, didn't, I didn't realize he had a podcast. Yeah, he does. He he has people on to basically find out how and what they started listening to when they started listening to punk. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I don't remember. Oh, don't remember Kevin Shields on there, but uh, maybe maybe one day. <laughs> yeah, maybe one day. 
I know they hang out at some kind of hookah bar or some kind of vape bar that Damien owns or something in Toronto. Oh yeah, I forgot they hang about out that. there and smoke. They hang out and smoke weed or something. Right, right. And yeah. Um. Well, Pete, you. No, this has been amazing. Yeah, it's been a really, really fun chat, man. Uh, we really appreciate you taking Thank the time. You. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks for uh, rescheduling too. It was. It's a bit chaotic last week. And, it's all good. We uh, we like our guests yeah. stress free. <laughs> yeah. And three... I thought you. I seriously. I thought I seriously thought the podcast was the next day because I had done three that day, and I was like, I think I'm done. I think I can lay down and, like, <laughs> and chill now. And then, uh, yeah. Sorry about that. We got it. We got it done. That's what matters. It's all good, man. And, uh, you know, again, thank you so much for, um, providing another album for me to listen to after I've gone through (laughs) my bloody Valentine and, and, you know, maybe a ride album or two. Oh yes. So love ride. Um, yeah, we'll see you on April 15th. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks so much, fellas. Thanks Daniel. Have a great night. Okay. See ya. Peace. See ya. I don't think we've finished an interview where I've been like, oh, my God, I still have all this stuff to ask. I but it was also about very, a half a page. Yeah. Of, it was all personal stuff, though. Well, I was just going to say, there's quite, quite a bit of stuff that we didn't yeah. get into with yeah. him uh, as well, because he does have. And I would highly encourage anybody that just listen to that uh, to go and kind of dig through the backstory a little yeah. bit, because he does actually have that. So we alluded to it a little bit here and there about 10, did he said 10, about 10 years where he wasn't yes. making music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and those were eventful years. Yeah, I think it was it was uh, some some rough times for sure, which, you know, I'd love to talk to him about sometimes. But it is an interesting thing where I think in the course of our, however, almost 50 episodes, we've had some pretty in-depth conversations. Sometimes we don't expect to have those conversations. And uh, it's not always easy to know what the limits of those conversations 100%. are or the questions, right? And we've had the benefit of some of our guests we've had many interactions with and are kind of a little bit more comfortable. Know them a familiar, bit more. Know yep. them a little yep. bit more and know what we can ask yep. and what we can't. Um, but I would definitely have no problem saying next time. No, hell we've no. We've got Dan around. Hell no. And we're going to see him. We're going to see him with Royal Canoe. Isn't that crazy? Very excited about that. There's been even there's more shows getting announced all the time. Oh my god, we had four in one day last it's week. Crazy, it was crazy, crazy. Very, very cool stuff. It's gonna be a busy, busy spring. Can't wait to get back in front of live tunes. Yeah, I saw I saw some music last Thursday. Where'd you go? I went to Bose. Was that Bose for a little for, for a oh, little that jam? Was the uh, Saint Groove. It was uh, Mitch. Mitch from Saint Groove. It was Pierre, a uh, bass player from town, and uh, Colton. Playing drums. I got them all right. And it was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah. And what was the, there was like, it was a sit down kind of. Yeah. They like were just chilling. Yeah. Just chilling. They were just, they are just riffing. Just a good jam session. Yeah. It was a good time. It was, it was a good best. time. It felt nice. It felt nice. And it's going to feel even better when shows come back. Loud. Very loud. Just like that. That's a good, we were talking about getting your ears kind of readjusted. And yeah. I didn't need a last Thursday. They were very gentle. It was, it was pretty chill. It was very, very gentle. Um, Some of those shows that are coming up. You know, you might see video footage of, and maybe some of that video footage of, uh, or video footage you'll 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 see is going to be on the YouTube channel, the Communal Creative Studios YouTube channel. Which, if you've not subscribed to, at the very least, like I'd love it if you liked everything on that channel because that's very easy to do. But if you haven't subscribed, then Patrick's going to see you at one of those shows, and you're going to wish that he didn't see you at one yeah, of those shows. You're going to say hi, and I'm going to look at you. No more, Mister Nice not Guy. Not say anything. 
It's about that. Get Show me your it. phone. Show me your phone. <laughs> Open up YouTube. <laughs> I don't think you'll do it, too. Uh, big thanks to Go Services, Inc., as always. I think they loved our chat with um, Sally uh, from a couple weeks ago uh, with about all the bidets, bidets and, and the toilet talk. They like sure the toilet they talk. I'm pretty sure, sure that was uh, huge for them. Bo's Barn Stage. And, of course, Communal Creative Studios. Ryan and Riley, awesome, awesome people. We all get uh, together and be back here again next Wednesday. 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 The Road to the Stage is produced by Ryan Cooley and Riley Sir Yin at the Communal Creative Studios in Red Deer, Alberta. In partnership with Go Services Inc., Sawback Brewing Co., Tourism Red Deer, and Bose Bar and Stage. <laughs>